0: This is Marilyn Lightstone Reads, A Room with a View. The timeless Edwardian tale from E.M. Forster and the sixth book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads, featuring the acclaimed Canadian actress, television and radio host, Marilyn Lightstone. Now, without further ado, here is Marilyn to read us E.M. Forster's A Room with a View. Chapter
1: 12 it was a Saturday afternoon, gay and brilliant after abundant rains, and the spirit of youth dwelt in it, though the season was now autumn. All that was gracious triumph. As the motor cars passed through Summer Street, they raised only a little dust, and their stench was soon dispersed by the wind and replaced by the scent of the wet birches or of the pines. Mr. Beebe, at leisure for life's amenities, leant over his rectory gate. Freddy leant by him, smoking a pendant pipe. Suppose we go and hinder those new people opposite for a little. Hmm, they might amuse you. Freddy, whom his fellow creatures never amused, suggested that the new people might be feeling a bit busy, and so on, since they had only just moved in. I suggested we should hinder them said Mr. Beebe, They are worth it.' And latching the gate, he sauntered over the triangular green to Sissy Villa. "'Hello!' he cried, shouting in at the open door, through which much squalor was visible. A grave voice replied, "'Hello?' "'I've brought someone to see you. I'll be down in a minute.' The passage was blocked by a wardrobe, which the removal men had failed to carry up the stairs. Mr. Beebe edged round it with difficulty. The sitting room itself was blocked with books. Are these people great readers? Freddy whispered. Are they that sort? I fancy they know how to read. A rare accomplishment. What have they got? Hmm, Byron. Ah, exactly. Ooh, a Shropshire lad. Never heard of it. The Way of All Flesh. <laughs> Never heard of it. Gibbon. Hello. Dear George reads German. mm Schopenhauer. Nietzsche. And so we go on. Well, I suppose your generation knows its own business, honey, Church. Mr. Beebe, look at that, said Freddy in awestruck tones. On the cornice of the wardrobe, the hand of an amateur had painted this inscription mistrust all enterprises that require new clothes. (laughs) I know, isn't it jolly? I like that. I'm certain that's the old man's doing. How very odd of him. Well, surely you agree? But Freddy was his mother's son, and felt that one ought not to go on spoiling the furniture. Pictures, the clergyman continued, scrambling about the room. "'Oh, Giotto, they got that at Florence, I'll be bound. "'The same as Lucy's got. "'Oh, by the by, did Miss Honeychurch enjoy London? "'She came back yesterday. "'I suppose she had a good time.' "'Oh, yes, very,' said Freddy, taking up a book. "'She and Cecil are thicker than ever.' "'That's good hearing. "'I wish I wasn't such a fool, Mr. Beebe.' "'Mr. Beebe ignored the remark.' "'Lucy used to be nearly as stupid as I am, "'but it'll be very different now, Mother thinks. "'She will read all kinds of books.' "'Well, so will you. "'Well, only medical books, "'not books that you can talk about afterwards. "'Cecil's teaching Lucy Italian, "'and he says her playing is wonderful. "'There are all kinds of things in it "'that we have never noticed,' Cecil says. "'What on earth are those people doing upstairs? "'Emerson, we think we'll come another time.' "'George ran downstairs and pushed them into the room without speaking. "'Let me introduce Mr. Honeychurch, a neighbour. "'Then Freddy hurled one of the thunderbolts of youth. "'Perhaps he was shy. "'Perhaps he was friendly. "'Or perhaps he thought that George's face wanted washing. "'At all events, he greeted him with, "'How'd you do? Come and have a bathe.' "'Oh, all right,' said George, impassive. "'Mr. Beebe was highly entertained.' How do you do? How do you do? Come and have a bathe, he chuckled. That's the best conversational opening I've ever heard. But I'm afraid it will only act between men. Can you picture a lady who has been introduced to another lady by a third lady <laughs> opening civilities with, How do you do? Come and have a bathe. <laughs> and yet you will tell me that the sexes are equal. I tell you that they shall be. "'said Mr. Emerson, who had been slowly descending the stairs. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Beebe. "'I tell you they shall be comrades, and George thinks the same. "'We are to raise ladies to our level,' the clergyman inquired. "'The Garden of Eden,' pursued Mr. Emerson, still descending, "'which you place in the past is really yet to come.' "'We shall enter it when we no longer despise our bodies.' "'Mr. Beebe disclaimed placing the Garden of Eden anywhere. "'In this, not in other things, we men are ahead. "'We despise the body less than women do. "'But not until we are comrades shall we enter the garden. "'I say, what about this bathe?' "'Murmured Freddy, appalled at the mass of philosophy that was approaching him. "'I believed in a return to nature once. "'But how can we return to nature when we have never been with her? "'Today I believe that we must discover nature. "'After many conquests we shall attain simplicity. "'It is our heritage. "'Let me introduce Mr. Honeychurch, whose sister you will remember at Florence. "'How do you do?' "'Very glad to see you, and that you are taking George for a bathe. "'Very glad to hear that your sister is going to marry. "'Marriage is a duty. "'I am sure that she will be happy, for we know Mr. Vyse, too. "'He has been most kind.' "'He met us by chance in the National Gallery "'and arranged everything about this delightful house. "'Though I hope I have not vexed Sir Harry Otway. "'I have met so few liberal landowners, "'and I was anxious to compare his attitude "'towards the game laws with the conservative attitude. "'Ah, this went. "'You do well to bathe. "'Yours is a glorious country, Honeychurch. "'Not a bit.' mumbled Freddy. "'I must—that is to say, I—I I have to—I have the pleasure of calling on you later on,' my mother says, I hope. "'Call, my lad, who taught us that drawing-room twaddle. Call on your grandmother. Listen to the wind among the pines. Yours is a glorious country.' Mr. Beebe came to the rescue. "'Mr. Emerson, he will call.' "'I shall call. "'You or your son will return our calls before ten days have elapsed. "'I trust that you have realized about the ten days interval. "'It does not count that I helped you with the stair eyes yesterday. "'It does not count that they are going to bathe this afternoon.' "'Yes, go and bathe, George. Why are you dawdle talking? "'Bring them back to tea. "'Bring back some milk, cakes, honey. "'The change will do you good.' "'George has been working very hard at his office. I can't believe he's well.' George bowed his head, dusty and somber, exhaling the peculiar smell of one who has handled furniture. "'Do you really want this bathe?' Freddy asked him. "'It is only a pond, don't you know? I dare say you're used to something better.' "'Yes, I have said yes already.' Mr. Beeb felt bound to assist his young friend and led the way out of the house and into the pine woods. How glorious it was! For a little time, the voice of old Mr. Emerson pursued them, dispensing good wishes and philosophy. It ceased, and they only heard the fair wind blowing the bracken and the trees. Mr. Beebe who could be silent, but who could not bear silence, was compelled to chatter, since the expedition looked like a failure, and neither of his companions would utter a word. He spoke of Florence. George attended gravely, assenting or dissenting with slight but determined gestures that were as inexplicable as the motions of the treetops above their heads. And what a coincidence that you should meet Mr Vise. Did you realise that you would find all the pension Bertolini town here? I did not. Miss Lavish told me. When I was a young man, I always meant to write a history of coincidence. No enthusiasm. "'though, as a matter of fact, "'coincidences are much rarer than we suppose. "'For example, it isn't purely coincidentally "'that you and I are here now when one comes to reflect.' "'To his relief, George began to talk. "'It is. I have reflected. It is fate. "'Everything is fate. "'We are flung together by fate, drawn apart by fate. flung together, drawn apart.' "'The twelve winds blow us. We, "'We settle nothing.' "'You have not reflected at all,' "'rapped the clergyman. "'Let me give you a useful tip, Emerson. "'Attribute nothing to fate. "'Don't say, "'I didn't do this, "'for you did it, ten to one. "'Now, I'll cross-question you. "'Where did you first meet "'Miss Honeychurch and myself?' "'Italy.' "'And where did you meet Mr. Vyse, "'who was going to marry Miss Honeychurch?' "'National Gallery.' "'Looking at Italian art. "'There you are, and yet you talk of coincidence and fate. "'You naturally seek out things Italian, and so do we and our friends. "'This narrows the field immeasurably, and we meet again in it.' "'It is fate that I am here,' persisted George. "'But you can call it Italy if it makes you less unhappy.' "'Mr. Beebe slid away from such heavy treatment of the subject.' "'but he was infinitely tolerant of the young "'and had no desire to snub George. "'And so for this and for other reasons "'my history of coincidence is still to write.' "'Silence.' "'Wishing to round off the episode, he added, "'We are all so glad that you have come.' "'Silence.' "'Here we are,' called Freddy. "'Oh, good!' exclaimed Mr. Beebe, mopping his brow. "'And there's the pond. I wish it was bigger,' he added apologetically. "'They climbed down a slippery bank of pine needles. "'There lay the pond, set in its little alp of green. "'Only a pond, but large enough to contain the human body "'and pure enough to reflect the sky.' On account of the rains, the waters had flooded the surrounding grass, which showed like a beautiful emerald path, tempting these feet toward the central pool. "'It is distinctly successful as ponds grow,' said Mr. Beebe. "'No apologies are necessary for the pond.' George sat down where the ground was dry and drearily unlaced his boots." Aren't those masses of willow herb splendid? I love willow herb and seed. What's the name of this aromatic plant? No one knew, or seemed to care. These abrupt changes of vegetation. This little spongous tract of water plants, and on either side of it all the growths are tough or brittle. Heather, bracken, herds, pines. Oh, very charming, very charming. Mr. Beebe? "'Aren't you bathing?' called Freddy as he stripped himself. "'Mr. Beebe thought he was not. "'Water's wonderful!' cried Freddy, prancing in. "'Water's water!' murmured George. "'Wetting his hair first, a sure sign of apathy, "'he followed Freddy into the divine, "'as indifferent as if he were a statue "'and the pond a pail of soap-suds. "'It was necessary to use his muscles. "'It was necessary to keep clean.' Mr. Beebe watched them, and watched the seeds of the willow herb dance chorically above their heads. "'Aposhu! Aposhu! Aposhu!' went Freddy, swimming for two strokes in either direction, and then becoming involved in reeds of mud. "'Is it worth it?' asked the other, Michelangelesque on the flooded margin. The bank broke away, and he fell into the pool before he had weighed the question properly. "'He!' "'Poof! I've I've followed a pollywog, Mr. Beebe. "'Water's wonderful! Water's simply ripping!' "'Water's not so bad,' said George, "'reappearing from his plunge and sputtering at the sun. "'Water's wonderful! Mr. Beebe, do!' "'Mr. Beebe, who was hot and who always acquiesced where possible, "'looked round him. He could detect no parishioners except the pine trees, rising up steeply on all sides and gesturing to each other against the blue. How glorious it was! The world of motor cars and rural deans receded inimitably. Water, sky, evergreens, a wind. These things not even the seasons can touch, and surely they lie beyond the intrusion of man. "'I may as well wash, too,' And soon his garments made a third little pile on the sward, and he too asserted the wonder of the water. It was ordinary water, nor was there very much of it, and, as Freddie said, it reminded one of swimming in a salad.' The three gentlemen rotated in the pool, breast high, after the fashion of the nymphs in Gotterdammerung, but either because the rains had given a freshness, or because the sun was shedding a most glorious heat, or because two of the gentlemen were young in years, and the third young in spirit, for some reason or other, a change came over them, and they forgot Italy, and botany, and fate. They began to play." Mr. Beebe and Freddy splashed each other. A little deferentially, they splashed George. He was quiet. They feared they had offended him. Then all the forces of youth burst out. He smiled, flung himself at them, splashed them, ducked them, kicked them, muddied them, and drove them out of the pool. Race around it, then, cried Freddy, and they raced in the sunshine. "'and George took a shortcut and dirtied his shins "'and had to bathe a second time. "'Then Mr. Bede consented to run. (laughs) "'A memorable sight. "'They ran to get dry. "'They bathed to get cool. "'They played at being Indians in the willow herbs "'and in the bracken. "'They bathed to get clean. "'And all the time, three little bundles "'lay discreetly on the sward, "'proclaiming, "'No, we are what matters.' Without us shall no enterprise begin. To us shall all flesh turn in the end. A try! A try! yelled Freddy, snatching up George's bundle and placing it beside an imaginary goalpost. Soccer rules! George retorted, scattering Freddy's bundle with a kick. Goal! Goal! Pass! Take care of my watch! cried Mr. Beebe. "'Clothes flew in all directions. "'Take care of my hat. <laughs> "'No, no, that's enough, Freddy. "'Dress now. Don't no, dress, I say.' "'But the two young men were delirious. "'Away they twinkled into the trees. "'Freddy with a clerical waistcoat under his arm, "'George with a wide-awake hat on his dripping hair. "'That'll do!' shouted Mr. Beeb, "'remembering that after all he was in his own parish.' Then his voice changed as if every pine tree was a rural dean. "'Hi!' "'Steady on. "'I see people coming, you fellows!' Yells and widening circles over the dappled earth. "'Hi! Hi! Ladies!' Neither George nor Freddy was truly refined. Still, They did not hear Mr. Beebe's last warning, or they would have avoided Mrs. Honeychurch, Cecil, and Lucy, who were walking down to call on old Mrs. Butterworth. Freddy dropped the waistcoat at their feet and dashed into some bracken. George whooped in their faces, turned, and scattered away down the path to the pond, still clad in Mr. Beebe's hat. "'Gracious, alive!' cried Mrs. Honeychurch. "'Whoever were those unfortunate people? "'Oh, dears, look away. "'And poor Mr. Beebe, too. "'Whatever has happened?' "'Come this way immediately,' commanded Cecil, "'who always felt that he must lead women, "'though knew not whither, and protect them, "'though he knew not against what. "'He led them now toward the bracken "'where Freddy sat concealed. "'Oh!' "'Poor Mr. Beebe! Was that his waistcoat we left in the path? Cecil, Mr. Beebe's waistcoat! "'No business of ours,' said Cecil, glancing at Lucy, who was all parasol and evidently minded. "'I fancy Mr. Beebe jumped back into the pond. Uh, uh, "'This way, please, Mrs. Honeychurch, this way.' "'They followed him up the bank, "'attempting the tense yet nonchalant expression "'that is suitable for ladies on such occasions. "'Well, I can't help it,' said a voice close ahead, "'and Freddy reared a freckled face "'and a pair of snowy shoulders out of the fronds. "'I can't be trodden on, can I? "'Oh, good gracious, me, dear, so it's you. "'What miserable management! "'Why not have a comfortable bath at home "'with hot and cold laid on?' "'Oh, look here, mother, a fellow must wash, and a fellow's got to dry, and if another fellow—dear, no doubt you're right, as usual, but you're in no position to argue. Come, Lucy,' they turned. "'Oh, look! Oh, no, don't look! Oh, oh, poor Mr. Beebe! How unfortunate again!' For Mr. Beebe was just crawling out of the pond, on whose surface garments of an intimate nature did float." "'Well, George, the world-weary George, shouted to Freddy that he had hooked a fish. "'And me, I've swallowed one,' answered he of the bracken. "'I've swallowed a pollywog. It wriggleth in my tummy. (laughs) I shall die. "'Oh, Emerson, you beast, you've got on my bags. Hush, dears!' said mrs honeychurch who found it impossible to remain shocked and do be sure you dry yourselves thoroughly first all these colds come of not drying thoroughly mother do come away said lucy oh for goodness sakes do come hello cried george so that again the lady stopped he regarded himself as dressed barefoot Bare-chested, radiant, and personable against the shadowy woods, he called, "'Hello, Miss Honeychurch, hello!' "'Bow, Lucy, better bow. Whoever is it, I shall bow,' Miss Honeychurch bowed. That evening, and all that night, the water ran away. On the morrow, the pool had shrunk to its old size and lost its glory. It had been a call to the blood— and to the relaxed will, a passing benediction whose influence did not pass, a holiness, a spell, a momentary chalice for youth. Chapter 13 How Miss Bartlett's boiler was so tiresome. How often had Lucy rehearsed this bow, this interview, But she had always rehearsed them indoors, and with certain accessories, which surely we have a right to assume. Who could foretell that she and George would meet in the rout of a civilization amidst an army of coats and collars and boots that lay wounded over the sunlit earth? She had imagined a young Mr. Emerson who might be shy, or morbid, or indifferent, or furtively impudent. She was prepared for all of these but she had never imagined one who would be happy and greet her with the shout of the morning star. Indoors herself, partaking of tea with old Mrs. Butterworth, she reflected that it is impossible to foretell the future with any degree of accuracy, that it is impossible to rehearse life. A fault in the scenery, a face in the audience, an eruption of the audience onto the stage, and all our carefully planned gestures mean nothing, or mean too much. I will bow, she had thought. I will not shake hands with him. That will be just the proper thing. She had bowed. But to whom? To gods? To heroes? To the nonsense of schoolgirls? She had bowed across the rubbish that cumbers the world. So ran her thoughts, while her faculties were busy with Cecil. It was another of those dreadful engagement calls. Mrs. Butterworth had wanted to see him, and he did not want to be seen. He did not want to hear about hydrangeas, why they changed their colour at the seaside. He did not want to join the C O S. When cross, he was always elaborate and made long, clever answers where yes or no would have done. "'Lucy soothed him and tinkered at the conversation "'in a way that promised well for their married peace. "'No one is perfect, "'and surely it is wiser to discover the imperfections before wedlock. "'Miss Bartlett, indeed, though not in word, "'had taught the girl that this our life contains nothing satisfactory. "'Lucy, though she disliked the teacher, "'regarded the teaching as profound and applied it to her lover.' Lucy, said her mother when they got home, is anything the matter with Cecil? The question was ominous. Up till now, Mrs. Honeychurch had behaved with charity and restraint. No, I don't think so, mother. Cecil's all right. Well, perhaps he's tired. Lucy compromised. Perhaps Cecil was a little tired. Because otherwise... "'She pulled out her bonnet-pins with gathering displeasure, "'because otherwise I cannot account for him. "'I do think Mrs. Butterworth is rather tiresome, if you mean that. "'Cecil has told you to think so. "'You were devoted to her as a little girl, "'and nothing will describe her goodness to you through the typhoid fever. "'No, it is just the same thing everywhere. "'Let me just put your bonnet away, may I? "'Now, surely you could answer her civilly for one half-hour.' "Cecil has a very high standard for people," faltered Lucy, seeing trouble ahead. "It's-it's part of his ideals. It is really that that makes him sometimes seem-" Oh, rubbish! If high ideals make a young man rude, the sooner he gets rid of them the better," said mrs Honeychurch, handing her the bonnet. "No, mother, I've seen you cross with mrs Butterworth yourself, not in that way. At times I could wring her neck, but not in that way. No! It is the same with Cecil all over.' Oh "'By the by, I never told you. I had a letter from Charlotte while I was away in London.' This attempt to divert the conversation was too where and Mrs. Honeychurch resented it. "'Since Cecil came back from London, nothing appears to please him. Whenever I speak, he winces. I see him, Lucy. It is useless to contradict me.' No doubt I am neither artistic, nor literary, nor intellectual, nor musical, but I cannot help the drawing room furniture. Your father bought it, and we must put up with it. Will Cecil kindly remember? I... <sighs> I see what you mean. And certainly Cecil oughtn't to. But he does not mean to be uncivil. He he once explained it is it is the things that upset him. He is easily upset by ugly things. He is not uncivil to people. Is it a thing or a person when Freddy sings? Well, you, you can't expect a really musical person to enjoy comic songs as we do. Then why didn't he leave the room?' Why sit wriggling and sneering and spoiling everyone's pleasure? We, we mustn't be unjust to people, faltered Lucy. Something had enfeebled her, and the case for Cecil, which he had mastered so perfectly in London, would not come forth in an effective form. The two civilizations had clashed. Cecil hinted that they might, and she was dazzled and bewildered as though the radiance that lies behind all civilization had blinded her eyes. Good taste and bad taste were only catchwords, garments of diverse cut, and music itself dissolved to a whisper through pine trees, where the song is not distinguishable from the comic song. She remained in much embarrassment, while Mrs. Honeychurch changed her frock for dinner, and every now and then she said a word and made things no better. There was no concealing the fact. Cecil had meant to be supercilious, and he had succeeded. And Lucy, she knew not why, wished that the trouble could have come at any other time. "'Go and dress, dear. You'll be late.' "'All right, mother. Don't say, all right, and stop. Go!' She obeyed, but loitered disconsolately at the landing window. It faced north, so there was little view and no view of the sky. Now, as in the winter, the pine trees hung close to her eyes. One connected the landing window with depression. No definite problem menaced her, but she sighed to herself. "'Oh, dear, what shall I do? What shall I do?' it seemed to her that everyone else was behaving very badly, and she ought not to have mentioned Miss Bartlett's letter. She must be more careful. Her mother was rather inquisitive and might have asked what it was about. Oh, oh dear, what should she do? And then Freddy came bounding upstairs and joined the ranks of the ill-behaved. "'I say, those are topping people!' My dear baby, how tiresome you've been. You have no business to take them bathing in the sacred. It's much too public. It was all right for you, but most awkward for everyone else. Do be more careful. You forget the place is growing half-suburban. I say, is anything on tomorrow week? Not that I know of. Then I want to ask the Emersons up to Sunday tennis. Oh, oh, I I wouldn't do that, Freddy. I wouldn't do that with, with, with all this muddle. "'What's wrong with the court? "'They won't mind a bump or two and I've ordered new balls. "'I mean, I mean, it's better not. I, I, "'I really mean it.' "'He seized her by the elbows "'and humorously danced her up and down the passage. "'She pretended not to mind, "'but she could have screamed with temper. "'Cecil glanced at them as they repeated. "'Cecil glanced at them as he proceeded to his toilette, "'and they impeded Mary with her brood of hot water cans.' "'Then Mrs. Honeychurch opened her door and said, "'Lucy, what a noise you're making! "'I have something to say to you. "'Did you say you had had a letter from Charlotte?' "'And Freddie ran away. "'Yes. "'I, I really can't stop. "'I must I must dress, too. "'Well, how is Charlotte?' All, "'All right. "'Lucy!' "'The unfortunate girl returned. "'You have a bad habit of hurrying away "'in the middle of one's sentences. "'Did Charlotte mention her boiler?' "'Her what?' Don't you remember that her boiler was to be had out in October, and her bath cistern cleaned out, and all kinds of terrible to-doings? I can't remember old Charlotte's worries, said Lucy bitterly. I shall have enough of my own, now that you are not pleased with Cecil. Mrs. Honeychurch might have flamed out. She did not. She said, Come here, old lady. Thank you for putting away my bonnet. Kiss me. And though nothing is perfect, Lucy felt for the moment that her mother and Windy Corner and the wheeled in the declining sun were perfect. So the grittiness went out of life. It generally did at Windy Corner. At the last minute, when the social machine was clogged hopelessly, one member or other of the family poured in a drop of oil. Cecil despised their methods, perhaps rightly, At all events, they were not his own. Dinner was at half-past seven. Freddy gabbled the grace, and they drew up their heavy chairs and fell to. Fortunately, the men were hungry. Nothing untoward occurred until the pudding. Then Freddy said, "'Lucy, what's Emerson like?' "I, "'I saw him in Florence,' said Lucy, hoping that this would pass for a reply. "'Is he the clever sort, or is he a decent chap?' "'Ask Cecil. It is Cecil who brought him here.' "'He is the clever sort, like myself,' said Cecil. "'Freddy looked at him doubtfully. "'How well did you know them at the Bertolini?' asked Mrs. Sunnychurch. "'Oh, very slightly. I mean, Charlotte knew them even less than I did. "'Oh, oh that reminds me. You never told me what Charlotte said in her letter. Well, "'One thing and another.' "'said Lucy, wondering whether she would get through the meal without a lie. "'Among other things, that an awful friend of hers "'had been bicycling through Summer Street, "'wondered if she'd come up and see us, and mercifully didn't. "'Lucy, I do call the way you talk unkind.' "'She was a novelist,' said Lucy craftily. "'The remark was a happy one, "'for nothing roused Mrs. Honeychurch so much "'as literature in the hands of females.' she would abandon every topic to inveigh against those women who instead of minding their houses and their children seek notoriety by print her attitude was if books must be written let them be written by men and she developed it at great length while cecil yawned and freddie played at this year next year now never with his plumstones and lucy artfully fed the flames of her mother's wrath but soon the conflagration died down, and the ghosts began to gather in the darkness. There were too many ghosts about. The original ghost, that touch of lips on her cheek, had surely been laid long ago. It could be nothing to her that a man had kissed her on a mountain once. But it had begotten a spectral family. Mr. Harris, Miss Bartlett's letter, Mr. Beebe's memories of Violet's. "'and one or other of these was bound to haunt her before Cecil's very eyes. "'It was Miss Bartlett who returned now, and with appalling vividness. "'I have been thinking, Lucy, of that letter of Charlotte's. "'How is she?' "'I tore the thing up. "'Didn't she say how she was? "'How does she sound? "'Cheerful?' "'Oh, yes, I suppose so. "'No, no, not very cheerful, I suppose.' "'Then depend upon it. It is the boiler. I know myself how water preys upon one's mind. I would rather anything else, even a misfortune with the meat.' Cecil laid his hand over his eyes. "'So would I,' asserted Freddy, backing his mother up, backing up the spirit of her remark rather than the substance. "'And I have been thinking.' "'she added rather nervously. "'Surely we could squeeze Charlotte in here next week "'and and give her a nice holiday "'while plumbers at Tunbridge Wells finish. "'I have not seen poor Charlotte for so long.' "'It was more than her nerves could stand, "'and she could not protest violently "'after her mother's goodness to her upstairs. "'Mother, no!' She pleaded, "It's impossible. We, we, we can't have Charlotte on the on the top of the other things're we're, we're squeezed to death as it is. Freddie's got a friend coming Tuesday, and there's Cecil, and you've promised to take in Minnie B because of the diphtheria scare. It, it, it simply it simply can't be done. Nonsense, it can. If Minnie sleeps in the bath, not otherwise. Minnie can sleep with you. I won't have her. Then, if you're so selfish, Mr. Floyd must share a room with Freddy. Miss Bartlett, (laughs) Miss Bartlett, Miss Bartlett, moaned Cecil, again laying his hand over his eyes. It's impossible, repeated Lucy. I don't want to make difficulties, but it really isn't fair on the maids to fill up the house so. Alas, the truth is, dear, you don't like Charlotte. No, I don't. "'And no more does Cecil. "'She gets on our nerves. "'You haven't seen her lately "'and don't realize how tiresome she can be, "'though so good. "'So please, mother, don't worry us this last summer, "'but, but spoil us by not asking her to come.' "'Hear, hear!' said Cecil. "'Mrs. Honeychurch, with more gravity than usual "'and with more feeling than she usually permitted herself, "'replied, "'This isn't very kind of you too." "'You have each other and all these woods to walk in, "'so full of beautiful things, "'and poor Charlotte has only the water turned off and plumbers. "'You are young, dears, "'and however clever young people are "'and however many books they read, "'they will never guess what it feels like to grow old.' "'Cecil crumbled his bread. "'I must say, "'Cousin Charlotte was very kind to me that year I called on my bike,' "'put in Freddy.' "'She thanked me for coming till I felt like such a fool "'and fussed round no end to get an egg boiled for my tea just right. "'I know, dear. She is kind to everyone. "'And yet Lucy makes this difficulty "'when we try to give her some little return.' "'But Lucy hardened her heart. "'It was no good being kind to Miss Bartlett. "'She had tried herself too often and too recently.' "'One might lay up treasure in heaven by the attempt, "'but one enriched neither Miss Bartlett "'nor any one else upon earth.' "'She was reduced to saying, "'I can't help it, mother. "'I don't like Charlotte. "'I admit it's horrid of me. "'From your own account, you told her as much. "'Well, she would leave Florence so stupidly. "'She flurried.' "'The ghosts were returning. "'They filled Italy.' "'They were even usurping the places she had known as a child. "'The Sacred Lake would never be the same again, "'and on Sunday week something would happen even to Windy Corner. "'How was she fight against ghosts? "'For a moment the visible world faded away "'and memories and emotions alone seemed real. <sighs> "'I suppose Miss Bartlett must come, since she boils eggs so well.' "'said Cecil, who was in rather a happier frame of mind, "'thanks to the admirable cooking. "'I didn't mean the egg was well boiled,' corrected Freddy, "'because in point of fact she forgot to take it off. "'And as a matter of fact, I don't care for eggs. "'I only meant how jolly kind she seemed.' "'Cecil frowned again. "'Oh, these honey churches! "'Eggs, boilers, hydrangeas, maids! "'Of such were their lives compact!' "'May me and Lucy get down from our chairs?' he asked, with scarcely veiled insolence. "'We don't want no dessert.'"
0: Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads' A Room with a View. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the sixth book in our Marilyn Lightstone Reads podcast series— We invite you to go back and listen to Marilyn Reed, Pride and Prejudice, The Age of Innocence, Anne of Green Gables, Jane Eyre, and A Christmas Carol. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network.